Hello, and welcome back to this podcast series, where we look at various things in pharmacy in a concise eight-minute-ish podcast format. This week, we're looking at one of the most ubiquitous things in pharmacy, the Manufacturer's Summary of Product Characteristics, or SPCs. They're obviously everywhere, and everyone uses them, so why do a podcast about them? Well, because they're everywhere and everyone uses them, obviously, but also because there's often misunderstandings about how stuff ends up in an SPC, what it means if you do something different to what it says, and why stuff that's in them should sometimes be taken with a pinch of salt. So to do this, we've relied this week on a couple of sources beyond the primary sources in rules and regulations, one of the most important being the EMA guide How to Prepare and Review a Summary of Product Characteristics. Because guides that are produced to tell you what you should do often tell you quite a lot about what people actually try to do, given a chance. The rules of football don't say anything about not licking the goalposts, as no one would. But there are rules about only using your feet, because in the past, people like William Webb Ellis have been tempted to pick the ball up. The same goes with SPCs. And the other source is past conversations with the incomparable Jen Smith, who knows masses of stuff about all sorts of niche pharmacy areas. All errors are obviously mine, but thanks to Jen for sharing her knowledge over the years. So where are we going to start? Well, let's start at the beginning, which is about what is an SPC and what's it actually for? Because if we can answer this question and keep it in our minds, a lot of the later confusions about SPCs and why they are like they are, and why we can't use them like we think we can, make a bit more sense. So an SPC is the document that's written by the manufacturers as part of their information they need to submit to get a licence. It's a summary of the product's characteristics. Without one, a product won't get a licence, which means that the company then can't market it and earn their millions from it. So it's an important step in the licensing process from the perspective that every product has to have one. The fact that you need one is set by legislation, and the broad headings that an SPC covers are also set by legislation but the specifics of what goes into each section is more of a guidancey type document. So we can't be too specific about the specifics of what's in each SPC beyond the broad headlines, but even the broad headings are quite useful to cover. Basically, the SPC should provide information that helps the end user use the product within the license. So what it's for, how much to give and how, things that might go wrong, how to store it and the like. So the subsections are name and what's in it, Form, so tablet, injection, etc. How to use it in clinical practice. Pharmacological properties, so how it's supposed to work and how good it's supposed to be. Pharmaceutical properties, so what it's made of, how to store it and the like. And then loads of housekeeping gubbins about who's the marketing authorization owner and other stuff. Which all sounds like fabulously useful stuff. And it is. There's a reason why they need to produce one to get a license. But it's that last bit that's key. They need to produce one to get a license. It will therefore contain sufficient information to support the licensed use of the medicine, but that's not necessarily the grand total of all the things you might legitimately be able to do with the product. If they've not got a license to treat children, or pregnant people, or to treat that niche condition that four people in the world have, they don't have to put stuff in their SPC to support its use in that area. Indeed, there's strong drivers to disincentivise putting this stuff in, First is legislative. You aren't allowed to promote things for sale if you don't have a licence. So putting information about, say, it's pharmacokinetics in children when you don't have a licence in children could be frowned upon by serious people with clipboards and governance in their job titles. Which is disincentive enough. Governance people scare anyone. 
But as well as the legislative limitations, there's also the liability limitations as well. Medicine is a risky business, and businesses will want to limit their exposure to this risk, as would you. There's no point opening yourself up to a class action suit because you put in some data you didn't need to, but thought it might be helpful. Which all drives SPCs to be as minimal as possible and legally watertight. If the product is licensed with a shelf life of two years, the SPC will absolutely not say that it'll be okay to use the day after it expires, even though it absolutely would be. But sometimes this cautiousness about opening a company up to liability can have the opposite effect and result in mountains of data being added in, even if it may not be relevant, or maybe even true. And this is the area of adverse effects, which, if you look in an SPC, tends to be the largest and most expansive section of all, which leads to a weird scenario that if you read an SPC, the good things about the drug are glossed over as quickly as possible, then pages and pages are dedicated to telling everyone how terrible the product is. It's not a technique used when trying to sell anything else in the world, so why do this with medicines? Well, it's to do with perceived liabilities again. The thought goes that if you don't tell someone about something that might happen with something you sell someone, you may be more liable than if you told them it might happen up front. Obviously this has limits. If you buy a new car and all its wheels fall off, the manufacturer is no less liable if they tell you in advance. Watch out, the wheels might fall off. But you can see the point. If you explain in advance that your drug can cause excruciating headaches, and then the patient gets an excruciating headache, there is some mileage if you say, well I did warn you, informed consent and all that. But what this leads to is the temptation to put in every possible side effect under the sun in the SPC, even if its causative link isn't really that secure. And this has led to the guide on how to write SPCs to specifically say, quote, Adverse events without at least a suspected causal relationship should not be put in the SPC, end quote. Which suggests that, because they felt they had to specifically tell people not to list side effects that aren't linked to the drug in question, that people tend to try to do just this. There was a study in 2013 by Baron et al, Systematic Review of Genuine versus Spurious Side Effects of Beta Blockers in Heart Failure Using Placebo Control, Recommendations for Patient Information that looked at the side effects listed in SPCs and found that 28 of 33 classic side effects commonly thought of as being associated with beta blockers actually occurred at the same rate with placebos in the original trials, which is unfortunate, but nicely illustrates the point. For side effects, drug interactions and the like, the driving forces behind writing an SPC runs the risk of making the information in it less helpful than it could be by hiding the small trees of important stuff within a forest of defensive practice. So where does that leave us? How should we think about SPCs? They have their benefits, but it's helpful to think of them as having been written as a marketing permission document, not a clinical document. The stuff that's in them is useful to us, and it looks clinical, because it is. But we need to remember that the people who wrote them wrote them for a different purpose to what we're using them for. They've been written to get a license, and to try and protect the company from accusations of you didn't tell us that would happen, and have the bare minimum in them to achieve that. Because of this, they're specifically limited to those licensed indications. And remember that just because it's unlicensed doesn't mean it's the wrong thing to do, else we'd never manage to treat children, or that niche condition that affects four people worldwide that we made up earlier. The SPC is a starting point, but it can only ever be a starting point, unless the question is, what's the license use of whatever it is? Because in most areas, they're profoundly not comprehensive, and at the same time, in other areas, are overly comprehensive, edging into speculative. 
To optimise care with medicines, you need to be prepared to venture outside the bounds of the SPC and explore other information sources and use your pharmacy knowledge to think critically about what you read. Thanks for listening and see you next time.